Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Psalm 38, we're going to look at verse uh, seven, six, 16 uh, through 18. Where David says, For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you who he's talking about there as we get into the latter part of the message. But the words that I really want to focus on here are verse 17 and 18. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. So I've titled the message uh, this morning, What Happens When We Sin? David here in Psalm 38 uh, gives us some principles here that I think are important for us uh, because we sin. We, we, uh, it's not a mistake. It, it, many times it's a deliberate disobedience of God's word. And so we need to know what God tells us here in his word to help us to understand what we need to do when we sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day you've given us. God, for the opportunity that we have to be in your house. And I pray that your blessings would be upon the word today. Help me, God, to convey the message that we need to hear and that we need to understand that you've given us your grace and mercy every day to help us in those areas of life when we fail, when we fall, when we mess up, when we sin against you. So thank you, God, today for Jesus who died for us. And I, I, I pray if there be one here this morning that doesn't know, your, know you as their Savior that, God, you might speak to their hearts and help them to see their need for a Savior. And bless now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you, you may be seated. So let me give you a testimony of how that some of this, this message came about. In March of 1990, my, my wife and our three children uh, moved to southwest Wyoming, a, a city uh, 80 miles from Salt Lake on Interstate 80 uh, called Evanston, Evanston, Wyoming, um, right on Interstate 80 about, in fact, our church was a mile and two-tenths from the Utah state line. And uh, so we moved there in September of 1988, and in March of 1990, our daughter Rochelle, who was 13 years old, was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We took her to Salt Lake City. They did an exploratory surgery on her. 
opened her up, looked around. Every organ from her diaphragm, diaphragm down had cancerous tumors attached. She had 30 pounds of cancer in her abdomen. The doctor took out her appendix and one of her ovaries and sold her back up, came in and said, we need to talk. And we sat down with our with this surgeon in our little uh, kids' uh, playroom. I remember sitting down at a small table and small chairs. And here's this surgeon who's just come out of surgery who's told us that our daughter has cancer. And they gave her a 40% chance to survive the chemotherapy. Basically, here's what they told us. You can start the chemo, but we don't think that she will survive the chemotherapy. But it's up to you. You can go ahead and start it. And so we signed papers right then and there for them to do a biopsy on her bone marrow to make sure that it wasn't in her bone marrow. And uh, so she spent about two weeks in the hospital. I was pastoring a church. I uh, was driving a school bus. We had two sons at home. So I went home to take care of things at home. My wife stayed in the hospital with our daughter, you know, to do all of the medical stuff. I mean, when when things like that happen in your life, everything that you think is normal has been completely turned upside down. So I went home and I talked to the boys. I told them what was going on with our sister. And we so we began this journey together as as a family. So she's in the hospital for about two weeks. We brought her home, and, and in the process of uh, the surgery and everything else that's gone on, they started the chemo immediately there in the hospital. She had two treatments every month. Um, they started the, the chemo immediately, and somehow she developed a bowel blockage. And uh, so we, we lived in, in Wyoming, 7,000-foot elevation, and, and basically, we saw it snow in, in Evanston, Wyoming, every month of the year. One-fourth of July, we're out at our church property shooting off fireworks, and the adults are sitting in the car drinking hot chocolate with the heaters going, and the kids are outside shooting off fireworks, and it's snowing on them. Fourth of July. So this is late March, early April. We had this wet snowstorm, and so I'm taking Rochelle to the doctor. Um, and I top a hill, and I hit the brakes, and I lose control of our van. We spin around, and we, we roll over on the side. Our van rolls on its side right at the edge of an of a embankment, a 30-foot drop-off, right at the edge of it. And I, I, and, I, and I will always remember looking down at my daughter, who's had this diagnosis of no, sin, no chance of ever surviving a cancer, and she's in her seatbelt. She's sick from this surgery and from this bowel blockage, and and I'm up here because I'm in the driver's seat, right? And I'm looking down at her, and she's looking up at me with this look on her face. I I can't even describe the 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 feelings that I had at that particular moment, and 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 so now my daughter's in all for all intents and purposes, she's dying of cancer. I, I just wrecked our, our only vehicle, and so I go to church on Wednesday night, and, I, and I'm standing there looking out these windows that ran by our highway. We had a highway here and Interstate 80, and I'm just standing there reflecting on everything. 
You know, you do that, right? I, I, my daughter's dying of cancer. I just wrecked our van. And I'm supposed to get up on Wednesday night and preach. And a man walks up to me. Have you ever met somebody that's, uh, that, that they're like fingernails on a chalkboard type personality? You know what I'm talking about? And he shakes my hand and he looks me in the eye and he says to me, Preacher, you must really have a lot of sin for these things to be happening in your life. Now, my first thought was not to fall on my face and repent, but I thought I, I, my flesh got a hold of me. And I, have you, ever, you remember the old Popeye cartoon where he winds up his fist? And, and, and I'm, I'm honest with you, my first thought was I, I wanted to take my fist and just drive his nose out the backside of his head. And I, I, I know that's not very godly, but that's, that was my first thought. So, but now, okay, so for me personally, uh, he started me on a personal journey. Because, listen, um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't want my daughter to be, be dying of cancer because of some sin that I needed to deal with. Now, in, here, here's what I learned personally. In my, in my journey, my own personal journey, okay, and, and, and my wife's, her perspective of things, you know, it's different than mine, mine, mine is. In fact, uh, God allowed her to write a book about this story of what we went through as a family in five years, five-year time frame. Three of our family members had cancer. Our daughter, Rochelle, our oldest son, Jason, and my wife, in, in, in a five-year time frame, all three of them had, had cancer. And so in, in my journey, in my own personal journey, here is a couple of things that I learned. Number one, sickness isn't always the result of some, seat, some deep sin that we commit. Now, time out. It is the result of sin. Right? Because God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of that fruit, you will what? You will surely die. It is the result of sin. Did you know statistics show that 10 out of 10 people die? It's inevitable. These bodies are weak and they are frail and we get sick and death comes. That was the first thing that I learned. The second thing that I learned is this. Not everybody knows how to help when we're hurting. Just like that man. He may have thought that he was trying to help. You know, you, you remember Job. Job is sitting in a pile of ashes, scraping boils. And his three friends come and they sit down across from him for seven days. And they don't, they don't say a word. They just sit there and weep, at, weep with him. And after seven days, what is their, the words out of their mouth for these? You must really have a lot of sin in your life for all these things to be happening to you. So not everybody knows how to help. But I do know this, that more, more often than not, sickness is just simply caused by the fact that we are human, we have human frailties, we get sick, and we die. And it's a part of the curse. Now, I, I, we have no idea why all of that happened 
in a five-year time frame when three family members got cancer. Now, Psalm 38 is a, is a different story. Because in Psalm 38, David knows that he is under the judgment of God. In fact, Psalm 38 is several of the psalms that David has written where God is dealing with his sin. And David knows it. He is under the judgment of God. So in Psalm 38, David gives us some insight into what happens when we sin. So I want to share some things with you here from the 38th Psalm. And again, much of this was developed uh, from that that experience with our daughter and, and, and that comment that that man made. And, and, and God is just so very gracious to us. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that at, at the end. But So here's some things that I want us to do. I'm going to take a drink real quick. My throat is dry. Got a little bit of a stuffy nose and a cold here. So let me do that real quick. I guess this is mine. It hadn't been opened yet. I hope it's mine. There's no lipstick on it, so I assume it's not a woman's. All right, let me let me take a drink. All right, let me show you several things. Number one is this. Now, I think they'll be putting it up. Well, they got the title of it up there, so they got that part of it, right? Technology. It's wonderful when it works, right, Brother Dennis, you know? Ten, ten hours, is that what you went to? A ten-hour seminar on trying to run, run the machine? Uh, title, he pushed button. That was... That was awesome, man. And even though he knew it, he went through this 10-hour seminar to try to learn how to do it. He still had people in the class telling him how to do it. Oh, all right. So anyway, I'm distracted here. Okay, number one, look at this. In verses 1 and 2, David tells us this. What does God do when we sin? What does God do when we sin? Look at verses 1 and 2. Look at this. O Lord... That's God, Jehovah God. Rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. So here's the first thing that David tells us that God does when we sin. Number one, he does this. In verse one, he rebukes us with his word. Or isn't that what he says? Rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. It is amazing to me. Listen, listen, it is amazing to me. You can go to church and your pastor can stand behind this pulpit and begin to preach a message. And have you ever had this thought? He's been following me around this week. You know, I, I was preaching one time on gossip and you know and I was talking about people that gossip and we shouldn't gossip you say well I don't gossip everything I say about my neighbor is true and uh, so I was just talking about gossip and we had one of our older ladies and she came to the altar during the invitation and and so I'm standing there shaking hands with people in the foyer and she goes by and she shakes my hand and she says pastor I want to know who told you and I said, who told me what? That, that I'd been gossiping about you. 
And I said, well, the Spirit of God won't be up in the middle of the night. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't do that. You know, I mean, just li just listen, you know. It, it just so happens that, that she was dealing with that in her life. And so you can sit here in church and the pastor preach a message and, and you're thinking, man, he's been following me this week. Aren't, aren't you glad that God gives us his word to bring conviction in our life? But then David also says, if, if, if we don't respond to the word, notice this, verse 2. For thine arrow stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. So here's what David is saying. Listen, if I don't respond... To the preaching of the word of God, it might be, it just might be that the Lord, well, he might need to get up close and personal. I, I grew up in a home with four sisters. Uh, two of them are still alive, and, and I'm the oldest. How many of you in your family, you are the oldest in your family? Let me see your hands, okay? You're the oldest. You know what that means? Whatever happens in the world is your fault. If my sisters would have burned down a building, my dad would have blamed me because I wasn't watching out for it, you know. So, so anyway, I, I don't have any idea what happened this one particular day. We were living in Amarillo, Texas in a trailer house, and, and uh, one of my sisters, I'm quite certain, falsely accused me to my father. No, probably not. And uh, so for some reason, my dad decided not to um, use the belt. Okay, I know that may not be politically correct, but that's just the way that it was in our home. And he just yelled at me. So I just decided I was going to walk out of the house and let him know exactly what I thought about him. Okay? All right, so don't try this at home, young people. So I walked out across the yard, and I turned back toward our trailer house, and I went something like this. Don't do this at home. Hmm. And within a matter of seconds, the door of our trailer house flew open. And my dad comes running down the steps of the trailer house, and it's like slow motion, you know. And he grabbed me, and his hand pressed me sore. That's what happened to David right here. That's what David's talking about. So uh, it, it was not a pleasant experience, to say the least. So here's, what I want, here's the point I want to make. When you and I sin, God give, listen, God gives you an opportunity to respond to the preaching of God's word. And if we don't, it might be that God may have to let us, allow us to go through a discipline in our life. Is that biblical? Whom the Lord loveth, he what? Chasteneth. You know what that means? That doesn't mean to punish. It means to correct. It means you've gotten on a wrong path, and I want you on this path. And he uses discipline to correct us and, you know, all kinds of things that he, that he allows to happen in our life as a result of his trying to get us, get our attention. And, and, and so David says, this is what God does when we sin. There, there's a second thing that he talks about here in verses 3 down to verse number 10. Number 2 is this. What does sin do? 
when we sin. What does sin do? Well, look at some of the things that David talks about here. Sin, number one, takes away our health. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Verse 5, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. Verse 7, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there is no soundness in my flesh. Now, now many Bible scholars believe that David was afflicted physically as a result of his sin. Sin takes away our health. People get sick. And the reason that is, is because of sin. And again, I want, to, I want to reiterate this. I'm not saying that every sickness that somebody has is a result of some dark, deep sin that they've committed. But it is the result of the fact that, listen, God told Adam and Eve, you sin, you take of that fruit, you will, you will die. Sin takes away our health. Sin number two, notice this. Sin takes away our rest. Look at verse three, the last part of verse three. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. David is saying this, I can't sleep at night because there's sin that's there. That God, you bring conviction in my heart and I can't do anything. I can't even sleep at night because of the sin that's there in my life. Verse four. He says, my wound, uh, verse 4, for mine iniquities are gone over mine head. David says, I, 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 I feel like I'm, I'm drowning in my sin. Now, I, I, I love to fish. I've, I've brought up, I've got two sons and um, uh, three grandsons. One, another one, yeah, three, another one on the way, right? Three grandsons, almost. And uh, so I taught my boys how to fish. My oldest son, Jason, is convinced that it's predestined before the foundation of the world that he doesn't catch fish. But my youngest son, Josh, I mean, he is, he's a fisherman. So he's three years old. We are on the Hoback River, south of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Actually, he's four. And we are catching cutthroat trout. And we're in this river. There's a little pool right out here, kind of in the cut of the bank, and out of the main flow of the river. So Josh has got a little Snoopy fishing pole, you know, throwing it out there. We're catching fish, having a great time. And I'm throwing over this way, and I hear a splash, and I'm thinking, well, Josh must have got him a fish. And I look around, and there's no Josh. And I look down in the water, and I can see him in the water. He's looking up at me with these big old gray eyes thinking, okay, Dad, get me out. You know, and so right then and there, as a father, I got two choices. I can look at him and go, son, you got yourself into it. Get yourself out. Or I did this. I got down on my knees. I grabbed him by the shirt, pulled him out, and set him back on the bank. And he's water's coming out of his nose, out of his ears. He's coughing. He's chugging like this. He reaches down, picks up, picks up the fishing pole, throws it right back out there. The boy's a fisherman. Amen. Hey, 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 listen, aren't you glad one day God saw you drowning in your sin? And he didn't look down and say, hey, you got yourself into that mess, get yourself out. No, no, hey, listen, when you call upon him, he will, he will lift you out. 
and he'll set your feet on the solid rock, and he'll and, and he'll give you his grace and and mercy. God is a gracious God. He wants to save us and give us his love and grace. So David says, all of those things is what sin does. Sin takes away our senses. Look at verse number 5. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. Now, I, I want you to understand this. David here wasn't perplexed by the fact of his sin. David was perplexed by the foolishness of what he had done. He's a man that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. Twice in the word of God. David says, I am this way because of my foolishness. That was perplexing to David. So number one, what does God do when we sin? Number two, what does sin do? And we, There's a lot more there that we could cover, but I'm trying to expedite things a little bit here. And then number three, what do people do when we sin? What do people do when we sin? I want you to look at verses 11 and 12. David gives us some insight into what happens to others when we sin. Go to verse number 11. Where David says, My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen, that kinsmen would be his own family, stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things against me and imagine deceits all the day long. Now, here, here's what David says sin people do when we sin. Number one, he says this, sin builds walls in our life. Sin builds walls. Sin can build walls between friends. It can build walls between husbands and wives, between families, between parents and their children. Hey, you know, sin can even build walls between church members. I My first church I pastored in East Texas, in the Piney Woods of East Texas. We were there for two, two and a half years. While we were there, the church celebrated its 25th anniversary, 25 years. And in 25 years, this church had had 25, 22 pastors in 25 years. 22 pastors in 25 years. Now, the man that recommended that I go there, I think he knew that, but he didn't tell us that. And we had a middle aisle right down the middle of the auditorium, and we had three generations, grandparents and parents and their children growing up who did not like each other. And it was like there was a wall built right down the middle of the auditorium. Now, we were there for two and a half years, almost, almost broke a record for the longest tenure as the pastor of that church. 22 different pastors. Some way back yonder, 
back in the history of that church, somebody offended someone and they carried it on from one generation to a next generation to a next generation. Sin does that. Sin will build walls in our lives. Verse 12, David says sin builds enemies. Look at this. Enemies that snare us, verse 12. They lay snares for me. Enemies that slander us speak mischievous things against me. Enemies that scheme against us. Even, listen, even David's own son, Ahithophel, his counselor, his son Absalom, turned their back against David. They, they plotted against him. All of that, all of that, my friend, was a result of David's sin. David's sin. Sin can mess up your life, can it? So aren't you, at this point right now, if, if I were to just stop and close the Bible and we go to eat lunch, I haven't given you any hope. But now I want to give you some hope. That's what the Bible does. God gives us hope. And so David, number four, here's what he does next in these next verses. He talks about what we should do about our sin. Do you want some hope today? Let me give you some hope. Number one, here it is. Verse 13, but uh, here, here's, here's what David says, verse 13 and 14. But I was as a, I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was, as a man that heareth not, and whose, and, and whose mouth are no reproves. Look at verse 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I what? Hope. You know what David says? I'm not offering any excuses. Do we live in a society today where it's easy to blame everybody else for what you do? Some guy blows his neighbor's face off with a shotgun and a, a high-dollared psychiatrist gets on the stand and says, well, you don't understand. He went through a very traumatic experience as a child. Excuse the behavior. Now, you can't control the things that happen to you, but what is the one thing that you can control? Somebody help me. How you respond to it. You can't control your health, but you can control how you respond to it. You can't control traumatic experiences that happen to you. But it's real easy in our society today to blame everybody else for our problems and not take responsibility. David took responsibility for his, for his deeds. And, and I don't have time to go into all of the details of this, but if you go back and you read in 2 Samuel Chapter number 12, Nathan the prophet shows up on the scene and he tells David the story about the man that had the little ewe lamb that was like one of his kids and a rich man butchered that and, and then David was outraged by that. You remember this? And then David says, uh, Nathan points his finger at him. He says, thou art the man. And, and right then and there, David's sin was exposed. And David, listen, here's the point I want to make. Oh, this is so important. There wasn't any excuses on the part of David. 
David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Help me out, Bible readers. Who knows what should have happened to David as a result of what he did? He should have died. Right? From the from a biblical perspective, David should have died. He committed murder. He committed adultery. He should have paid the price with his life. But God spared his life. Oh, don't tell me there's no mercy in the Old Testament. Not because David deserved to have the mercy of God, but because David was, here's the key word, biblically repentant. He wasn't just sorry he got caught. He repented. That made the difference. Now, David spent the rest of his life battling the consequences of his sin. But because he was repentant, God spared his life. So number one, if you want to have hope, number one, offer no excuses. Offer no excuses. Number two, understand that you have no hope other than God. Look at verse 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. Oh my, I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know where what you're dealing with in your life. But the only way that you can overcome it is through Jesus Christ. He's done everything. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is just say, yes, Lord, I need you. He's done it all. He paid the price for our sin. I, I don't know if you recognized how many of the songs the guys sang today that talk about the the stone being rolled away. Did you hear all those songs? Christianity is the only, only, only faith in the world. I don't even like to call it a religion. It's the only faith in the world where you won't find a grave and a body in a grave. You find an empty tomb because he lives. And I'll tell you what, he lives so that you can live. So David says, don't offer any excuses. Understand that you only have hope in God. And then number three, and I've already touched on this, that is to leave you repentant. And that's what David was. He was repentant. All right. I'm going to close it down, but I, I do know, need to show you a picture here. Our daughter, Rochelle, did survive the cancer. Um, they told us she will never <laughs> be able to have children. If she survived the chemotherapy, if she survived the cancer, she would never be able to have children. And uh, so she survived. She married uh, John Martirosian. That's his, their last name. And John, when they went into the marriage, Rochelle, our daughter, told him, I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to have children. He married her knowing that. Well, about six months after they got married, she got pregnant. And this young man right here, Isaac Newton Martirosian. Isn't that a cool name? Isaac Newton. Had, a, had one of the girls at college come to me and said, I heard you got a grandson, Isaac Newton. Wasn't he the guy that invented the light bulb? And I said, uh, no, I don't think that was him. But anyway, Isaac Newton is coming to Heartland in the fall. And then... 
the Lord gave them another son later on, six years later, Ian. This is our son, Jason. I'll be glad to show you the picture. A couple of reasons I do this. Number one, I'm a grandpa. How many of your grandparents? Let me see your hand. If you like being a grandparent, is it, it, would you have liked to have done it first? You know, I hear people say that all the time. I don't know how that's possible, but I, I love being a grandpa. And here's our son, Jason. He also had cancer, and they told us, we don't think you'll be able to have, have children either. Well, there are four daughters that God gave him, and then they finally decided to try one more time, and God gave him a son, Jason Kyle Jett, Jr., and, uh, and then, of course, my wife here, Vicki, she's with me. She, I take her everywhere I go. She tries to keep me under control. She also had cancer. It doesn't work. She knows that. Now, here, here's the deal. Sometimes God doesn't choose to heal. Sometimes he's, his, his purpose is higher. Than ours, we don't understand why we went through all of that. But I know that we have a God that does. So what are you going through today? Um, you know, I, I, I know that we could take a risk in a message like this because, you know, you're thinking, well, if I go to the altar, somebody's going to think that I've done something really wicked. But you know what? Listen, if you have bitterness in your heart, if you have anger, if you have lust, are those things that are displeasing to God? Absolutely. So the point I want to make is this. If you need to get right today, God's here with open arms to forgive. 1 John 1, 9 is still in the Bible. I don't, I don't, I don't think they've taken it out. If we confess our sin, He is what? Faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's still in the Bible. So whatever the need is today, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time where you can come if you need to come and talk to the Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, you're so good to us today to give us life and breath and your word to help us to acknowledge needs in our life. And I just pray that you'd speak to hearts today and help us, Lord, to be committed to seeking forgiveness for our sin. Thank you for your word that gives us hope. Thank you for Jesus who paid the price for our sin that we might know him and know eternal life. So speak to hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.